fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And today we are talking about meta horror comedy with Tucker and Dale versus Evil. And Cabin in the Woods. But before we get into all of the funnies and the horror tropes, we have a ton of stuff to download on you guys. Yeah. It, it has been a long two weeks, and we have events coming up. There is a huge movie in the theaters right now, so let's get into it. John, what is keeping you creepy this week? So in regards to that huge movie in the theater right now, guys, have you seen A Quiet Place yet? You're so enthusiastic. I liked it a lot. <laughs> I thought it was really good. I feel like you like it more today than you did yesterday <laughs> or even the day that we saw it. Kinda. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I've been selling people on seeing this movie in the theater all weekend, so I kind of feel like I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid here. You really are. <laughs> I, I really am. But when was the last time that you saw a movie that absolutely had to be seen in the theater? I don't know if I 100% agree with you there. I want to see it again at home because cool. I thought the theater experience was very uncomfortable. It was a unique experience and it was fun. Definitely see it at the theater first, but eh. So you're with me on this one. Like, there's no disagreement. Regardless of whether you feel uncomfortable watching it, it has to be You're just really the intense right now. I, the movie made me intense. I am a new man now. No. Um, you're 100% right. You feel a little uncomfortable watching it. There is just tension dripping from that movie and, and i it's... wanted to eat my popcorn <laughs> <laughs> it is not a movie made for snacking that is that is something we have all learned this weekend yeah with your tweet that got four thousand likes whatever <laughs> so some some people I have never the had same a tweet experience four thousand likes mm. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is very calculated with how it uses silence and the whole time <laughs> the, the entire time like the, the 80 percent of this movie is silent if not just for maybe some ambient noise it's a bold move how do you get like a blockbuster audience to watch a movie that is mostly sign language and subtitles and still be engaged you put a lovable real life couple in it oh that's what you do <laughs> yeah everybody liked the office and john krasinski is a good director yeah, and it, like he's such a nice guy. Yeah. He pushed for that deaf girl to be cast, and it, she did a great job. Yeah, she was the best thing about that movie. Her character was the best, was the arc of the movie. She's the real protagonist. Oh yeah, it's her movie. Mm hmm. Uh, <laughs> we wrote a review on the website. Well, John wrote a review on the website. Spoiler free if you haven't seen the movie yet and you're on the fence post or, you, you know, you're thinking, oh, everybody says that it's hard to watch this movie in the theater. I'm going to wait to see it at home. Don't listen to them. See it in the theater, guys. So if you want the rest of that review, <laughs> head to nofspodcast.com. If you are one of our supporters on Patreon, we dropped our full-length bonus Drive Home from the Drive-In style review of a Quiet Place on Patreon, and if you're not yet a patron, please head over there and check out all the rewards you can get in return for supporting the show with a monthly pledge. 
A Quiet Place is probably one of the, the best horror movies that I've seen so far this year. We'll mm -hmm. get into why that's probably going to get buried soon. But I love dread and tension in, in movies. I know that's something that you have a hard time with. Stresses so, me out. Yeah, I, I love <laughs> in, sitting in that like uncomfortable feeling for an hour and a half with a whole room full of people. Like I think that's great. That's why I go to the movies. But also, it's a monster movie that has a great family story at its core. And... For a very simple, basic premise, we explore it in a really interesting way. Like, I, I was totally involved with these characters, and I think the monster creation was was great, and they didn't skimp on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like this movie in the same way that I like A Shape of Water, because it was really great execution of a really simple and not altogether original story. Uh, I think the method of storytelling is really great. The premise of the, the monsters and requiring silence is such a cool concept. I don't know if I loved the family's decisions and I if those protagonists were totally protagonists in my mind, I judged them a lot of the movie. Oh yeah, they should not have gotten pregnant. I think well, I think you're supposed to judge them. You're set up to judge them right away. So uh I wasn't always with them, which was a unique experience because you do feel for them even though they're not they're not making the brightest decisions. Yeah. <laughs> uh and another thing I wanted to say was it is a huge shame that the Cloverfield universe did not pick up this movie. They should have. Because they would have not needed to change a damn thing about it. Not at all. For me to believe it was part of the Cloverfield universe. In my head, it already belongs there. Oh, it's yeah. already a Cloverfield movie. And sorry, Paradox, you have been wiped from my mind and a quiet place has been, it's just moved in there. This is like, it's Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield Lane, and a quiet place. Yeah. And that's just, uh, that's how it's going to be for me. Yeah, we've turned on the horror particle collider and it's been blipped <laughs> from our existence yeah like in this universe a quiet place is cloverfield 3 <laughs> yeah it could have ended the same way 10 cloverfield lane could have right like we could have just panned down the driveway we see a mailbox we see a street sign like oh my god oh my god it was 10 cloverfield lane all along or 10 cloverfield street <laughs> 10 cloverfield place there we go. Oh, yeah, because it's a quiet place. Yeah, this movie is basically, uh, it's an indie horror movie that's been given the blockbuster treatment, I would say. I would expect to see this type of movie from a, with a smaller budget and a much more limited release. But it's been blown up, maybe by John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Who cares? The point is, it's in the theaters right now when Ready Player One sort of dominating the box office. This movie, at least at the time of recording, is estimated to do about 43, 46 Which is great, million. because yeah. it was originally supposed to do only 20, they were projecting. So. Yeah. Woo horror! Hello, right. 2018, we are back with a force. Yeah, by Friday night, they had taken in uh, over $20 million. So I think it's going to be a great weekend for it. It's awesome. This is the beginning of horror taking over the year again. It's going to be great. It's going to be just like 2017. And there's a shit ton of movies coming up the rest of the year that unfortunately are probably going to make us completely forget about this. But let's let's live in it while we got it. <laughs> uh, I was going to say too, I was like, did you see that Purge trailer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm excited because the Purge looks like they are heading into some political stuff. This movie looks like it's going to be a lot heavier than even previous films would lead me to believe. Like, The Purge has always been kind of with its its finger on the nose of current uh, socio-political issues, and this one looks like they're they're going out with Molotov cocktails. Yeah. 
So that's it's exciting. A ballsy franchise. Yeah, I'm it's going to be good. And we wanted to let you guys know, because we haven't done it officially on the podcast, next week we are headed to the Overlook Film Festival. That is in New Orleans, Louisiana, from April 19th to the 22nd. We will be there. Films will be there. Events will be there. Parties will be there. And there will be some bourbon there. So, I mean, if oh, you yeah. are in the area or you're going to the festival, hit us up on social media and catch up with us. We would love to meet up with you guys for a drink or a chat or a film. And if you can't make it, we are going to be updating live photos and all of our thoughts and feelings from films and stuff. And we'll be posting all weekend long. So... Yeah, some huge movies that have been announced that are going to be screening at the festival. Some favorites that we've talked about before, like The Tigers Are Not Afraid, but also The Ranger's going to be there. Ghost Stories, Downrange, Darren Bozeman's St. Agatha, Hereditary. I'm finally going to see Hereditary. <laughs> right now, it's going to be a really good weekend. I really hope you guys can make it if you can, uh, if you can make the drive or if you happen to live in the area. If you do find us, I will have tons of stickers and... Please, if I do not shove those stickers in your face right after you say hello, um, <laughs> do not be afraid to say, hey man, shut up for a second and give me a sticker, because without fail, whenever we go to a convention or an event, we meet up with fans and listeners like yourselves, and it's, it's so great. I love talking to you. I want to know what your favorite horror movie is, but then half an hour later, I realized I forgot to give you stickers. Yeah, we're so like bad at giving dick. out stickers. <laughs> Sometimes I remember to put them on like tables and stuff, but otherwise I just completely forgot. But yeah, so that's where we're going to be next week, and we'll update you two in the episode coming with all of our feedback from the event. I am so excited. We had so much fun last year. It was oh, yeah. probably my favorite film festival experience of the year, and we went to a whole bunch of them. And uh, there's like VR, and there's some haunt experiences, and immersive games and stuff, and all that stuff you guys know that I don't do, so yeah. John will let you know how those go. Oh yeah, there's a campfire story type horror anthology, I think. Like, this is the first segment directed by Alexandra Aja, the guy that directed uh, Maniac and Piranha 3D. Uh, I'm very excited to see that. I will be at the bar. I love I love me some horror VR. <laughs> With one of those giant walk-around drinks. <laughs> I'm, I'm also going to be going to uh, this theater experience for four where you walk into an apartment and you're basically uh given a a personal theater experience uh, regarding some some people that have died in that apartment and um, i will be at a jazz club <laughs> with a giant to-go drink <laughs> the voodoo museum we're gonna hit up that voodoo museum it's gonna be great do some ghost tours i'm really fucking excited yeah i'm so pumped but Enough news and enough film, well, not enough films. Enough news, let's get into this week's episode and talk about some horror comedies. Buddy. <laughs> oh, jeez, whoa, Jesus. Did you see the way those guys looked at us? Who wants to go skinny dipping? Dale? 
Okay, so Tucker and Dale versus Evil from 2010. It's currently sitting at a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, an 83% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 3 out of 4 from Roger Ebert himself, and 3.6 on Letterboxd. Did you look at Letterboxd? Was it more favorable than not? I would assume it was probably in the uh, 3 plus camp. Yeah, most of the ratings were toward the... Yeah, I think these are popular choices. This week, I don't think we're going to have anybody being like, well, I hate that movie. Every week we have one of those like, oh, I hate it. Sometimes it's us. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it's us. (laughs) But uh, both these movies are pretty genuinely liked. Yeah, doesn't everybody like these movies? Occasionally you'll run into people that haven't seen Tucker and Dale. But for the most part, I think everybody, we, we all unanimously appreciate and love Cabin in the Woods. A little horror comedy, yeah. They're definite crowd pleasers. That was my one note from viewing. <laughs> I'm out of notes now. We're, we're just winging it from here on in. <laughs> like your, your review on the cover of the movie, crowd pleaser. <laughs> With the ellipses in the center yeah like ma'am we need a full sentence like ma'am cool (laughs) i think i like tucker and dale versus evil for the same reasons that i like cabin in the woods it is a you know on one level it's a meta horror it's breaking down the tropes of the genre and it's playing around with them the thing about meta horror though is it allows you to play in the same playground that everybody's sick of seeing (laughs) That's what's kind of ingenious about meta. Like, when Scream came out in the 90s, people were getting sick of the slasher trope and the slasher genre. And then Scream's like, oh, no. Yeah, oh, no, we're going to do it, but with self-awareness. And then you're watching the same story play out, but it's tongue-in-cheek. And it's so much more fun that way because you can laugh with the plot of the movie because you know the next steps already. And same thing with Cabin in the Woods and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. They're playing on that kids in the cabin trope which is still the slasher trope yep um and it's got that tongue-in-cheek of like there are no surprises here other than how we get to where we have to go yeah they're brilliant because they don't take their audiences as idiots right like hey you've seen horror movies before you get it but we're still one step ahead of you i think that's the brilliant part about these movies especially scream too right they understand that you know what's coming next and they're still able to surprise you in the end yeah I think Tucker and Dale is such a brilliant example of this because it doesn't have the those characters that are talking about horror movies. In Cabin in the Woods, we we're breaking down what a horror movie is to like a scientific level, and in Scream, we're sort of analyzing it like beat by beat, you know, with the horror the, movie addicts. Yeah, the, yeah, the Jamie Kennedy character. Mm-hmm. Tucker and Dale, it's just a story that, through its humor, is showing you all of the tropes. See, that's such a good point, because I never watched it that way. Because you're, you're right, we always assume this is a meta-horror. But it never is actually blatantly meta. It's just meta because it's silly and funny and plays on your expectations of where it should go but Mm. it never outright says like oh no you're gonna think we're the killers but we're actually the good guys like they just are the good guys and it's just a mistaken identity perceptions kind of thing and that plays on a big theme that's handled in much deeper movies and this silly movie about hillbillies mistakenly being characterized as murderers in the woods yeah actually has a pretty big message about prejudice and um you could use it for anything you could use it for racism you could use it for classism you could use it for like replace hillbillies with any other word Mm -hmm. 
and it works on so many levels, and it's so enjoyable. <laughs> it's pretty great. Immediately, we open the movie on a group of frat college kids that are heading off into the woods for a weekend. You have your stereotypical moment where there's a bit of a stare down between them and the hillbillies and the truck beside them. That's my favorite scene in the whole movie is just when they're driving by and they're glaring at them with their mouths open. (laughs) (laughs) And they look intimidating, but that's only because they're in their country now, right? Like, they're out of their element. The kids have left the city, they've gone into the woods, and they are, and they're at a disadvantage because they have no idea where they are. These hillbillies, quote-unquote, they're from the area. They know the woods like the back of their hand, and they can even lay though traps. They, <laughs> even though they don't, though, because it's uh, Dale's summer home. I never, I never I, remember. I wrote it down, too, and I still, okay. I think it's Tucker's summer home? They bought it together. It's, okay, yeah. I think they bought it together, right? I don't know. You're I, trying to remember which character's which? Yeah. Dale's the bigger guy. I know. I, I wrote that down. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm pointing at uh, it right now. Well... I think this is a bigger movie in Canada solely for the fact of who Dale is. I don't know if any of you guys are from Canada, but if you are, then you will remember a little TV show called Breaker High. It had Ryan Gosling. I think everybody's seen it. No. What was Ryan Gosling It was ours Ryan. first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Ryan Gosling and Tyler Labine, who plays Dale, the yep. bigger one, yep. um, were like like nerdy sidekicks in that show. They it were was pretty about great. high school on a... On a boat. Yeah. yeah, like, okay, this year... On a permanent cruise. It made no sense. They would <laughs> occasionally, great. like, make port somewhere, and then they'd have an excursion into the city, but for the most part, we were on the boat. Sounds great, right? Yeah, my favorite episode, though, had... Tyler Labine's character was named Jimmy, and Wait I think they were in Mexico, and it's where he's learning how to build... Belly a dance? No. No? Oh. The burrito episode, <laughs> where he's learning how to fold a burrito, <laughs> and the, the ladies make him do all these tedious tasks, like filling pinata and stuff and he learns like a big greater message about life it's kind of like the karate kid. fold in fold over make a burrito that's all that is is <laughs> wax on wax off whatever <laughs> but it's pretty sprinkle great. in fold in fold over i oh yeah it's it's lost on me because television. I don't really remember it, but uh, there was an episode where he was also belly dancing. I remember that. Being I remember that fun. too. Do you? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I think that's the only episode I remember. I watched it all the time, and none of it stuck. Yeah, I remember one about like Ryan Gosling, geeky Ryan Gosling. This isn't dreamy guy. Ryan Gosling wanted to see his name in lights, and then they did it on the hockey rink for him, and then it was like his life goal. And you're like, it's just a hockey rink. <laughs> this is how we know the show never traveled outside Canada. It's centered around a hockey rink. <laughs> Wait, there was a hockey rink on the boat? No, I okay. I don't know. Maybe they made port in Canada somewhere. <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> no big deal. I love Dale in this movie. I love them both. They're well, yeah, they're so, both great. They're so endearing. I love them. <laughs> yeah, but Dale, <laughs> Dale just wants to make friends, and he know, like, he knows he's he's got no self esteem, and he's really down on himself about his station in life because these. Beautiful college girls aren't going to say hi to me. They're going to think I'm ugly and dumb. And Tucker, like the best friend in the world, is just like, you can't think about that, man. You got to respect yourself. You got to believe in yourself. Just go over there and say hi. (laughs) And he also happens to be holding a scythe. (laughs) I don't know why. Such great imagery, though, him going up to them at the gas station. I, I I have no idea why he grabbed it. He's obviously just self-conscious and makes a fool out of himself. And this is, <laughs> I think this is exactly how anybody with anxiety fears every interaction will go down. Like, oh, 
I'm gonna make a fool of myself. They're gonna think I'm an idiot. They literally speed off away from him <laughs> because he's creeped them out too much. Yeah, that is such a good scene. One thing, though, and I don't know if I ever noticed this beforehand, at the gas station, he is just sitting there eating an entire jar of pickled eggs, yeah. one after another. I've seen them for sale. I've seen them on TV shows at bars. Mo. I've, yeah. Mo's bar. Basically, yeah. <laughs> There's the one black egg. Oh, uh, I, have, I don't think I've ever seen anybody eat a pickled egg. Ever. I, yeah, I guess it's a, like a drinking snack. I mean, we do occasionally when they're offered by those giant-ass pickle on a sticks, whenever they're offered, so... I guess that's true. God damn, I love pickles. Giant pickles are great. Yeah, pickles big enough to be put on a stick. Yeah, yeah. what a lovely treat. <laughs> uh, so Tucker and Dale get to their farm home, and it's like this dilapidated murder shack. It's a fixer-upper. That Well, that's what they say, but that's not what it is. It looks like a murder shack. It's it looks... your typical cabin in the woods. And the, the teenagers get to their campsite, and they're getting all... Uh, set up to do their typical teenagery things. They're going swimming in the swimming hole. They're diving off the cliff. They're gonna do skinny dipping, I assume. Yeah, in the dark. <laughs> yeah, that's probably when I, I guess do that's, it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Who's gonna do that at like noon? <laughs> yeah, high noon. Let's get naked. <laughs> yeah. But weirder than that is that Tucker and Dale are out fishing in the middle of the night. Yeah. Is that a thing? Night fishing? Yes, it is. Is it? It definitely sounds like Are you like talking a thing. specifically about like when they like put that flashlight in like the circle eight pattern? I think that's illegal, by the way. Um, no, I do not know the techniques of fishing. So <laughs> the techniques. I will just say possibly. <laughs> sure. I just assume that we can see less at night, and therefore fish can see less at night, and therefore fishing is probably more. Easy. I think it's like all animals. You, you either do it. There's like the calm most... hours. You do it in like 6 a.m. when they're not awake yet or 9 p.m. when they're about to go to bed. That's basically it, right? The the, the deers are all going to run across the deer, rather. I don't think, I think <laughs> deer is the plural for deer. Yeah. Uh, they're all going to. Is it? Yes. Or is it just moose? No. Okay. No, the plural to moose is mises. <laughs> <laughs> Deers? The deer. A field of deer. Yeah, just one just one deer, no S. Here's, here's the problem, though, because when I think about it, I go, doe, a deer, a female deer. Still deers, singular. a pocket full of deers. <laughs> Tucker and Dale are at fish in the middle of the night. They startle Allison, the final girl of the college kids, and they rescue her, too, because she falls off a cliff while she's taking her shirt off because she thinks that they're just creeps spying on her. Which they kind of were, but well-intentioned creeps. You know, Dale did say, this is wrong, we should go back, and I think he coughed to get her attention, right? Like, hey, just a heads up, we're he, over here. You know what he does is he shouts Tucker's name. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tucker's like, why did you have to shout my name? <laughs> um, she hits her head on the way down, and then she doesn't resurface, so they go over there to rescue her. Mm-hmm. And they take her back to the murder shack. The... Uh, no, you're, you're skipping over the best part of this entire scene. Oh. They are alerting their friends like, hey, hey, <laughs> we got your friend. But because they're all agitated and they're drunk and they themselves are in a horror movie, they hear, hey, we got your friend. <laughs> <laughs> I was explaining this movie to somebody the other day who had never watched it. And I could barely get through just this scene without laughing through every word. Uh, I think I've turned another person on in this movie, and I'm super happy about that. If this is your first time watching the movie, after hearing us talk about it, please let me know. Um, I think everybody's always surprised at how good this movie is, and I want to talk to you immediately afterward. 
Yeah, that's all you ever hear is like, wow, that was surprisingly good. (laughs) What were you expecting? Most of the time, though, you put movies like this on because you're expecting something bad. You're like, oh, let's watch a bad slasher in the woods, whatever. And then this ends up being genuinely refreshing. Yeah, Tucker and Dale versus Evil kind of sounds like it's going to be a cartoon movie, a live-action cartoon movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe I thought it was going to be them versus, uh, like, a slasher killer in the woods, but nobody knows who the actual killer is, which I guess maybe it is. It kind of is. But the killer is really just bad luck in this. Oh, right? (laughs) So the the college kids are teaming up. They're working up the courage. They're going to go in there and they're going to rescue Allison because those creeps got her. And who knows what's going on right now. They could be torturing her for all we know. Cut (laughs) to. Meanwhile, Allison is recovering from a mild concussion. She gets pancakes. Yeah, she gets two (laughs) breakfasts in bed because he thinks the first one isn't good enough. And they're playing board games. (laughs) And then she helps him build, like, a shitter hole, which is interesting. Oh, that's so great. When the college kids show up, they see her digging. And instead of thinking, oh, they're doing yard work, it's like, that cruel bastard. He's making her dig her own grave. (laughs) Uh, This... The whole movie's like mistaken identity, right? It's misinterpretation of facts. At one point, Tucker is throwing... He's he's just collecting some trimmings around the yard. He's putting them in the wood chipper. And when this fucking college kid goes to attack him, Tucker, like, dives out of the way just in time to grab a piece of wood on the ground. And the kid jumps in the wood Dives chip. right into the wood chipper. <laughs> And then he's just legs, and he's trying to pull the legs out, and all the college kids see him holding the legs of this kid being eaten up by the wood chipper. Oh, fuck this. And then in the same time, another kid dives into the hole where Allison and Dale have fallen over or tripped or something, and that kid impales himself right beside them. Tucker and Dale still have... No idea what's going on at this point. As far as they're concerned, these college kids are in a suicide pact. That's what they think, and yeah. the reason why they're so mad that they got Allison is they're mad that, that Allison can't be a part of that suicide pact. So we've got to protect Allison. <laughs> Just got two warring sides over this one girl, and both think the other is the bad guy. It's so brilliant. Yeah, we're coming up to another one of my favorite scenes. So after Allison has fallen in the hole, she gets, like, another concussion. And when she wakes up again, she's like, what happened? Because Tucker is covered in blood. And he's like, he's basically like, are your friends on medication that they're not taking? And she's like, what? He's like, because they're trying to kill me. They're out there trying to kill Tucker and my dog. And and she's like, no, they're not. And then outside, one of the college kids screams, come out here, kill Billy. We're going to kill you. Oh, it's so it's such good timing. I, that was not funny when I said it at all, but it was great. Oh, whatever. <laughs> it's oh, this fucking movie is incredible. It's like, hard to talk about funny things because relaying them is not funny. Yeah, how do we tell you a joke that's funny <laughs> in a movie that they definitely spent way more time crafting than just two idiots in front of a microphone? <laughs> <laughs> when the cop shows up, though, like obviously sheriff's gonna get called at some point, and. <laughs> They're currently holding that kid's legs from the wood chipper. And it's like, officer, I don't know how to tell you this. We come up here to fix our cottage home. And these college kids just start killing themselves all around us. (laughs) 
Oh, it's it's so brilliant. We completely glossed over the cold open of this movie. I always forget that exists, and I rewatched this movie just before we started recording this, and I forgot about it again. I was yeah. like, why is this here? That's actually um, Eli Craig and his wife, the director. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hey, the the news just a crew? Little, yeah, a little cameo with them. I don't love it. I don't... I think it's good. I think it's exactly what this movie should have. Every one of these movies has those kind of cold opens, so I get it in the meta sense. I just don't remember it. It fits with the end of the movie, which I guess there's your your taste of what it'll be. Yeah. But when you're following these, like, the misadventure of these two hillbillies, you expect the opening to be some sort of killing. Like, maybe the, the opening could have been that legend that the mm. alpha male of the college kids is telling, because he tells this legend about these um hillbilly killers that killed his parents or kidnapped his mom or something i think at the time he's just talking about the area oh 20 years ago tonight these hillbillies killed a whole group of kids just like us what's great about that flashback and i completely missed it but when we were we were doing like a live tweet along or a live comment along to the movie in our Facebook group. And in that flashback, they're they're just partying around the car. They've got a cassette tape in, you know, Summer Jams, 1978. <laughs> and the killers pop out the tape and put in their own tape. <laughs> it's like, you guys brought a murder playlist? You were just saying in, in The Strangers Pray at Night that you love that. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it, it fits in that movie. Like, it's out of context. It's weird. It's funny. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I like it. Yeah, I like in that scene, too, that the killers look a lot like Tucker and Dale. They're not Tucker and Dale, but mm-hmm. they're they're shot from behind, and you can't clearly see their face and stuff, and that was fun for it being, like, a, a reimagining, because they're picturing yeah. the hillbillies they've seen in those roles. Yeah, exactly. Like we're in their, uh, their minds right now. This is their imagination, what they're seeing. Later, though, after Allison has sort of brokered a short truce between the college kids and Tucker and Dale... She literally makes them sit down and have, like, a, a talk and... <laughs> session (laughs) he explains that that story is about his parents that his parents and some friends came up the hillbillies attacked them um killed dad in front of mom if that's a real sore spot for you maybe camping in the same wilderness is not a good idea why'd you do that (laughs) right and you're just no no, no, everything's fine in fact i'll tell it later tonight as a cool campfire story it won't remind me of like the most darkest moments of my entire life i'm not gonna break down in tears in the tent when i'm trying to get it on with the final (laughs) (laughs) i just i just want to let you know that story's about me (laughs) just want to connect with somebody on another level, you know? Yeah, like, there's, this is the bond between us. <laughs> like, I could see it across the fire. Like, you just... But just as they're starting to, like, be on the same page and get one another, um, some of the other college kids break in with a weed whacker and then hit another college kid in the face. Oh, uh, this is two movies now that I've seen people die by weed whacker. Who else has died by weed whacker? Uh, one of the girls... The girl in the shower in Pool Party Massacre? Yes. Pool party massacre? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the pool party massacre with no pool party. There's a pool party. It's just a mild pool party. They listen to Horse the Band and, like, some (laughs) creepy guy just puts lotion on his belly the whole time. It's light on the party and heavy (laughs) on the massacre. What happens from here? Well, those other college kids, like, die inadvertently. One gets, like, weed whacker to the face. Somebody else gets lit on fire. Yep. And then 
the uh, the alpha guy goes full evil at some point, and he turns into like a blonde villain. You never go full evil. <laughs> and he there's kid- no coming back from full evil. And he kid kidnaps Allison and takes her to some barn, and then it's up to Tucker and Dale to save them. But Tucker's or er, Tucker's lost his fingers. They chopped his fingers off and like delivered them as like a message. <laughs> My favorite part, when they brokered that truce and they finally come back together, he grabs a beer and he's pouring it over his fingers like he's disinfecting it. <laughs> he does that at one point when he gets stung by a bunch of bees, too. He oh, does he pour he beer? Pours <laughs> beer all over his face. Oh, this That's movie such is... hillbilly logic, though. Oh, this movie is too good. I know people that would do that, though. Beer? Yeah, just dumb kids. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sure it's cold and probably feels nice, but... Yeah, I guess that's true. I would probably hold a beer against my fingers. And then if they're bleeding, you need to, like, gauze them up and shit. No time. <laughs> Did anybody ever tell you, like, if you get your fingers cut off to put it in milk? No. No? Okay, well, first... I got told to, like, keep them cold. Why yeah. are we trained on, like, limb loss? Yeah, the kids are just... You know, I say that, but I did almost lose the tip of my finger once. Yeah. It was fucked up. It was, like, the bone was sticking out, and, like, the, they had to, like, sew it back on, and I could still feel it while it was dangling. It was really weird. But... You could still feel it? Yeah. Were you touching it the entire drive to the hospital? No, I was mostly I screaming. Bet you, oh. <laughs> I had, I had you my... You get shock? <laughs> uh, the, the doctor never checked for shock, oh, but I've uh, always wanted some shock. I think it, I think I was definitely in shock. Um, my finger it was um was slammed in a door by my brother at like fully latched closed fire door, and when we opened the door after I screamed, the, the tip of my finger was just hanging by a thread, and the bone was sticking out, and it was fucked up. It was crazy fucked up. And my dad... It looks pretty normal for... It looks pretty normal. For this story. Yeah, I mean, the, um... it feels kind of weird. Like, it feels like it's been jammed in a door, but, <laughs> it's... but it looks okay. Yeah, like, the, the fingernail itself is a little odd. It was just dangling there, and the plastic surgeon, just out of curiosity, I guess, like, hey, can, can you feel this? And, uh, yeah, I could totally feel them tickling the tip of my finger, even though it was barely attached. And that was around the moment my dad had to walk out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yep, that's enough parenting for me. (laughs) I'm gonna go pour a beer over myself. He's just shuddering in the lobby. (laughs) Basically, yeah. The worst thing that happened to me as a kid is I fell down one of those retaining walls. Ooh. And because I'm an idiot, I didn't, like, push away from it. I just continued to fall down it. Oh, you just scraped your whole body. Well, it was mainly my one leg, and, like, my whole leg was just, like, a bleeding, gross mess. Like, we had to, like, pick stones out of it and stuff. Luckily, it was at um, a friend's house, and her mom was a nurse, so I was okay. (laughs) Did did your friend's mom, who's a nurse, at any point pour beer over it? No. Okay. She she disinfected it. Got it. Wrapped it up and sent me home. (laughs) Yeah, gave you a cookie and a pat on the back. Yeah, it was basically like, okay, now leave the house. Yeah. If anybody asks, you did this somewhere else. Yeah, really? (laughs) But we were of that age, though, where, like, that's the kind of shit that you got into as a kid. Like, you went went home when it got dark, and then otherwise your parents had no fucking idea where you were. Yeah. That's how most kids get hurt. Yeah. But, getting back to Tucker and Dale, Tucker has been taken to hospital. He is infirmed at... Is it the term? I don't know. It's near the end of the movie. You don't have to yeah. say it like it's so <laughs> Like, this is definitely after they've saved Allison and thwarted the real baddie, which is the... I keep calling them Alpha, because they, they're all just college kids the whole movie. They're like, them college kids? Yeah, I don't know his name. Let's call him Chad. 
I think it's Chad, actually. Is it Chad? I think it's Chad. That sounds right. Chad is the perfect asshole frat boy name for mm-hmm. a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, so Tucker has saved Allison from a buzzsaw. Uh, everything's cool, but where's Chad? And that's that's where we realize that Chad is now the evil uh, half-hillbilly who's roaming the countryside, terrorizing local news reporters and all who dare to enter his woods. Come a full circle on that. I fucking love this movie. And Dale ends up with Allison in the end. It's great. What about the hospital? You introduced this hospital scene. <laughs> yeah, he goes to see Tucker. He tells him everything's great. They go bowling. It's awesome. They stitch his fingers back on. When they stitch his oh. fingers back on, one of them is a woman's finger. <laughs> and it's got a painted fingernail. <laughs> Looking good there, Tucker. Okay, so what's your rating in the movie? I really like these movies. Uh, for whatever reason, I though, just this needs to be done now because I always say that I've been no, I have been editing a lot of the episodes, and you say movies like movies, movies. You say it, and it's not a slip of the tongue because every time I think it is, and then you say movies again, and you say it like movies. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to say it intentionally now, movies. right? I really do like these movies. And, <laughs> We're uh, gonna like listen back. You can't unhear it. You say movies weird. Okay, fine. I really like these movies and um (laughs) and i'm a big fan of this one but there is a section where it sort of starts to lag a bit for me it's like a 20 minute chunk that i always forget about and i guess i always forget about it because i'm usually not as interested in it i think horror comedies do have a hard time in second third act yeah keeping the ante up yeah because you you have to raise the stakes and it also still has to be funny and you kind of have to sacrifice one for the other Mm -hmm. and it's right around that time where you really want whatever you don't have you either want it to be funny when it's when it's taking itself seriously or you want it to be a little more serious when it's just goofball comedy but that said i i always enjoy watching this movie and i'm gonna give it a 3.5 out of 4 wow okay uh i agree with you and for me the end the end third is like, meh, I could do without the the hillbilly bad guy, but they do need it. They need a bad guy mm-hmm. to thwart at the end because they are so um, good and misinterpreted the whole film. So I get why you need that balance, but it's just as like a horror comedy, right? You We ditch the funny in favor of finishing the story, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give it a three out of four. No problem. I think it is hilarious. Yeah. This movie is is a 10 out of 10 in terms of horror comedy. This movie is hilarious, guys. You heard it here. Yeah, this is one of <laughs> this my favorite. Fa- this movie is one of my favorite horror comedies, and you absolutely have to check out this movie. <laughs> All right, the next film, please. All right, let's talk about Cabin in the Woods. Hello? I'm thinking this thing doesn't take credit cards. Sign says closed. We're looking for, uh, what's it called? Tillerman Road. Not to get you there. Getting back. That's your concern. Oh, this is awesome. The lambs have passed through the gate. They are come to the killing floor. Get this party started! I seriously believe something weird is going on. We have to stay together. Isn't right. We should split up. Yeah, good idea. Really? We gotta get out of here. Somebody sent those things here to get us. You're missing the point. They want to see us punished. 
So, Cabin in the Woods from 2012 is currently sitting at a 7.0, don't know why I wrote the zero, out of 10 on IMDb, a 92% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 3 out of 4 from Roger Ebert himself again, and 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Letterboxd is surprisingly slow or low. You think so? It's the same rating as Tucker and Dale. They both got 3.6. Yeah, but Cabin in the Woods is very highly regarded. Yeah. If anything, I guess that might be a better rating. More people have seen it, more people have rated it. Yeah, which I guess can hurt you or help you. Yeah, so to maintain that. What are we arguing here? I have no idea. Yeah. You think it's low. Uh-huh. You would expect it to be higher. Yes. Hmm. What is the Rotten Tomatoes rating? Like 90. 92. Yeah. That's a good point. you got to take into consideration that even if you don't like horror movies, this is still a fun movie to watch. That's actually what I wanted to bring up um, right off the gate is we saw this movie in theaters Mm -hmm. and we saw it with a bunch of people who didn't like horror movies. That's something Cabin in the Woods has harnessed like no other horror film. It brought... Its audience was comprised of horror movie fans and horror movie haters. Mm. It it was for everybody. It had that kind of um, tongue-in-cheek, this is what horror movies do kind of um, jabs. But also, to horror fans, it felt like an inside joke. So it was this interesting um, balance of the two. And also, Joss Whedon has, like, an army of fans. So I was going to say that I think especially the people that we went with were probably going because of Buffy. Yeah, and everybody was just like, yeah, Joss Whedon wrote this. I'm like, and you're like who, who is that? It's a horror movie. I'm so excited. Yeah, a, a horror movie about horror movies. Yeah. This is my fucking night. Well, and I was a little too young to see the first Scream in theaters. I saw all the sequels in theaters. Honestly, so, I'm going to say right now, still a little young to see those in the theater. Yeah. By average person standards. But I had a cool grandpa. You had the coolest fucking grandpa. Yeah. So I, before I saw Cabin in the Woods, knowing kind of what it could could be and was, yeah. I was really excited to see it for that because I was like, I haven't had my own big deal horror movie in my like coming of age era. Mm, yeah. This is a movie that defined a generation. Yeah. I mean, we were a little <laughs> late on it. I think it came out in 2011. So I think we were like 20. Sure. 2008 would have been 20. We were in our 20s. Yeah. Early 20s. Yeah. Yeah. What big came out when we were in high school? Big horror movie. I can't even think of one. Uh, a lot of remakes, from what I remember. Grindhouse? Grind, yeah. Grindhouse? <laughs> 300. 300, <laughs> yeah. It was definitely the early days of Zack Snyder, so Dawn of the Dead probably would have been pretty big. Fuck, so, okay, Hostel, Saw, those all came out when we were Hostel in high school. Hostel came out before I was in high school. Really? Yeah, because I saw it before high school, I think. Wicked. I saw it, yeah, when I was like Who took? Did your grandpa take you to that? No, my sister rented it with, like, her boyfriend, and they were babysitting, and I was like, guess what I get to watch? Yeah. (laughs) Like, one of those shitty kids who gets babysat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Chad's not supposed to be here, and if you want me to keep my mouth shut, I want to watch this thing that's going to give me nightmares. Make me a noodle cup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was a peach. I was the opposite. I would show my younger siblings horror movies, and it would ruin them forever. Uh, they they both like horror movies now, so I think everything's fine. But there was a moment where it felt like she would never sleep again. So that's the title of the chapter in her memoirs, all about how you fucked her up. Yeah, it's called "Thank You, John." <laughs> I just lent her Dream Warriors. She's hooked on horror movies. Oh, She's so never fun. sleep again, did she? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, thank you. That was quick. I like that. 
This is a horror movie for everybody, and guaranteed, regardless of what your friends like watching, they will have seen Cabin in the Woods. And, you know, if you're looking for something to introduce them to, I think Tucker and Dale is probably your next best option. Yeah, if you have somebody who doesn't like horror movies and watched Cabin in the Woods, Tucker and Dale is its hillbilly cousin. I love the opening of this movie, and oh, it's still, so it still puzzles me even now. I think it's brilliant. I like. I think I'm always flashing back to that moment in the theater, like, we, we are in the right theater, right? Because don't know what's happening. I never had that, but I can see how you would get that. It is cold, white, there's two boring guys in office attire, yeah. having the most boring conversation ever. His wife is, like, on fertility drugs, I guess, and they're trying to have a kid. Yeah. And they're getting coffee, they're on their little golf cart in the facility, and you're just like, why are we here? It's like where, where I'm like, are the judge teenagers? Movie yeah, where the fuck is the horror movie that I'm supposed to be watching? And then, blah, cabin in the woods. But, um, the banter between... The characters' names are Sitterson and Hadley. Um, I can't. I can never remember that fucking guy's names. Richard D- Jenkins. Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. Thank you very much. But the banter between the two is so funny because they're they're just dialoguing back and forth, and it's bland and it's boring, but it's like fast paced, and they're so on point with all of their delivery. It's great, and it's the kind of conversation you would expect to see around the office. They're bickering about their home life, and there's nothing to it. They they do not look like the kind of guys who are getting ready to go into a control room to kill five kids. Yeah, and it's business as usual for them, and this is something that they've done. How often do they do these? They even say? I'm going to assume once a year. Yeah, I was thinking that too, maybe once a year. But yeah, they are just business as usual. Like, we just got to get this done. He's inviting him over to, like, help him paint or whatever. Yeah, he's like, we're going to take out the power drills and uh, resurrect my cabinets or something like that. The title sequence there, though, is the best thing ever. I love that huge takes up the screen title. Yeah. Every movie needs that fucking title where you, like, literally pause the movie to throw your title up. I fucking love it every time i wanted like woo in the theater yeah i like it gets me gets me so good and then cut to like okay go right like some weird sort of like indie pop rock yeah and that's where we're introduced to our teenagers yeah. well i guess they're college kids yeah sure um they are college kids Don't you like, <laughs> yeah i guess they could be yeah they are most definitely college kids so we meet dana who is our final girl type she is the virginal, kind of semi-smart bookish one. And then we have Jules, who is the newly blonde, kind of sexually forward one, who's going to go first because she takes her top off. Yeah. Um, Chris Hemsworth is our jock. And then he brings his buddy, who is like the love interest. Yeah, the sensitive boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who and knows then... fucking Latin. Come on. They're all really smart. Half they are all, yeah. like, on scholarships. I Which think is like, a lot of them how are, are they college. choosing these people? Should they not be choosing not stand-up citizens? I think it was right. Wouldn't that be better? But... Yeah, they're choosing people who are going to be, like, contributors to society. Uh, I always thought we would get a sequel to this. Um, like a prequel, obviously. Oh, okay. Based on the ending. Yeah, this could be nothing but prequels. I was thinking... No, but I was thinking it was going to be the kind of, like, selection process. And it would be something akin to the Hunger Games, where, like, a school would lose the lottery of that year, and they'd have to nominate five, like, a friend group. Oh, and it's, like, systemic. Yeah, to be the sacrifice. I think it would be, like, a yeah an awareness thing about how far and how deep this actually went. Wow. 
that's kind of that's that's brilliant for a sequel anyway because like you need to expand your world well and you can't just have another cabin in the woods because yeah. that crumbled on the last one you'd have to the first one would just be successful and then where's your movie in that yeah you'd be able to call every beat i mean which would be fun how many of us want to see a different cabin in the woods with one of those creatures from the basement like we all want to see that yeah, yeah, yeah but i mean where's the movie in that you need another plot and you can't destroy the ca- the the cabin of the movie until what would kill me i think is if the prequel was them establishing the order now i know these are the ancient gods the oh, ancient okay. ones so i mean at one point they were obviously just eating people like gods coming down from olympus and just handfuls of like civilians well, at they, time. they do make a note about how remember when you could just throw a girl in a volcano that's so fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> i know that's the best joke ever which which would date back to like early modern or not even modern civil, early civilization yeah so it would have to like have evolved and changed along with that yeah so it's, it's it's always been in place it's not like one day they decided to like uh corporatize sacrifices and they were like yeah. you know what we should just make big business out of this <laughs> you're right though it's it's really surprising that we haven't seen another movie and because it seems like it's perfect for it and what you're describing to me sounds a lot like the purge tv show that's coming you know we have the 364 days before the purge and we're we're seeing all of the the groundwork laid for the next purge mm-hmm. it seems like your pitch is is kind of exactly that we have like the whole choosing process that sounds fucking great. Well, especially since they're scholars, yeah. there has to be some, and it takes a long time. They they infiltrated them with these drugs to change their personality, so they were closer to the archetypes that they're yeah. symbolizing. Jules' as hair dye is getting into her bloodstream. Yeah. And they've been gassing them, and they've been changing that guy's drugs to make him more perceptible to other things. Yeah. And... That would take them months. So they've obviously chosen these people and set up this Cabin in the Woods experience for them over a long period of time. So I would like to see who's doing that to them. It's got to be at their school. They're all from the same school. That's the only thing that they have in common. What if it's just like an Airbnb thing? If you rent this cottage... that's all it takes. I you always, rent this cottage with your friends. Yeah, and like see, they do a little more feeling around to find out whether or not you're bringing four or five friends. I always assume they set that up too because Chris Hemsworth's cousin bought the cabin or Oh, that's right. Or so he so and it's and it's his dad's RV too. So like who knows if Chris Hemsworth even has a, has a family. Maybe they just been drugging him so much <laughs> that they were like, "Yeah, you're going to this cabin. Here's your car. It's your dad's." And he's like, "Okay." Okay, thanks guys. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, how far how far reaching is this? <laughs> I want answers. This sounds great. Now I'm stuck up on this. We gotta talk about this movie. Uh, everybody's seen the movie, so it's it's good that we're talking about something other yeah. than just like this is funny and this is also funny, like we did earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> so they climb aboard the Rambler, the RV. They mm-hmm. get in it. They drive to the cabin, and it's very secluded. Cell phones don't work. Nope. Um, they pass a gas station as you do. They stop there. This is John's favorite season. So I'm just going to let him talk. Me? Sure. I, I guess <laughs> I could. Uh, yeah, he's like the harbinger, right? He's warning them. He's telling them that if they go any further, they are on their own. And, and it's he's a super ominous. Like, so absurdly ominous. He's so brilliant in this. Oh, fuck. He's great. And it always happens at a gas station. Like, for instance, Tucker and Dale. There's a reason it happens at the gas station. It's just, yeah, it's done so incredibly well. And they take the piss out of this guy later on when, by the way, where the fuck did that that phrase come from? Take the piss out of somebody? 
I don't get it. But he calls in later, and they, they put him on speakerphone, and this guy is so invested in his role. Yeah, he is not an actor. They've definitely found the perfect guy to, to hole up at this gas station to warn these kids, because he is preacher all-encompassing. Oh, yeah. And I, you know what? I don't think his approach to this whole process is entirely uncommon. I guarantee there's a ton of people working in that facility that think the same way. The lambs have been led to the slaughter and the blood will purify. Like, there's no way that other people working there aren't justifying this as some weird cult. Because it's, it's how they live their lives. Like, yes, it's their job. It's monotonous. It's day to day. It's never ending. They're working for some corporate god above them that they'll never see but is all powerful. But... It is very much a death cult. We are leading people to their deaths. And I see no way that you couldn't, that at least a large handful of people couldn't continue to work there day in, day out without it becoming a religion to them. That's where I think the kind of horror commentary comes in because we, the horror fans, are the employees betting on what monster it's going to be. These teenagers are literally going to their deaths and we're having a party yeah. and we're we're betting on on odds and everybody's gawking when the first girl is about to take her top off and there's that sex scene. Yep. And then when you think about the context, you're like, that's a real young woman who's vulnerable. They've unleashed these ungodly murderers yep. who are on their way to them. And it's very interesting to watch as a horror fan. And you kind of feel a little like, yeah, we do kind of, uh, we do really like revel in this. <laughs> Yeah, the bodyguard, who is is brilliant because, like, it's his first day, he's new to this. He's the person that they have to explain stuff to, you know, like, us, the audience. But he is the non-horror person in a, in a theater full of horror people. Being like, like why, what? What's going on? <laughs> this is okay with you guys? Isn't this a little fucked up? Like, should we, like, be rooting for them to live? We, we shouldn't be trying to kill them, right? But, you know, you're, you're elbowing that person, like, it's gonna be great, right? Oh, fuck, this is gonna be good. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting way to call attention to the kind of strange nature of horror. It is it is interesting why we like what we like and mm -hmm. why we find enjoyment in what's kind of awful and terrible. Yeah. While being light and funny, like I don't feel offended by it. Like no. yeah, that's an interesting point of humanity that we like to watch the car crash. Mm -hmm. And how they have to be these archetypal characters too. It brings it brings a larger discussion for me about the movie and the maybe the inspiration for it because when I watch this, I don't necessarily see it as a breakdown of the horror genre. It it is. It definitely is, but I also look at it as just the creative process. The Cabin in the Woods itself is a puzzle box. Tons of movies are set there. It's it's it wouldn't be hard to say, oh, I'm writing a Cabin in the Woods movie, and people would understand what you're getting at. Mm -hmm. But when you say, oh, I'm writing a Cabin in the Woods movie, okay, cool, who's your monster? How do they get there? Like, oh, it's cabin fever. It's an infection. Like, oh, yeah. it's evil dead. It's uh, undead zombie demons. Yeah, <laughs> and I, cabin fever's brilliant for it, too, because it lays the groundwork for several different types of movies that it could be before like, taking... Oh, it's infection. Yeah, like, that's kind of a left turn when it comes. You, yeah. don't, you don't see that coming. But when you're sitting down to write something, to think about a movie, like, imagine that you're the writer, you're Drew Goddard, right? Or you're one of the producers of the film. You have a, a chest full of monsters that could fit in, and all you have to really do is pick one. What we do know for a fact is that we need these five people, they have to be these types of people, they have to have these specific characteristics, and... 
it's just a play box. And the characters have their own free will, in a way, but you've devised a scenario for them to play within. It's, it's not so much that they have the free will to survive or get out, it's that they have the capacity to... to uh, die in their own way. Yeah, right? It's, <laughs> that's, that no matter what, you're gonna die. But you can choose how. I love this movie. Yeah, and horror's kind of always been a commentary on, like, life. So it's fun to see the pick and pull and of how horror has kind of devolved into its own tropes. Like, the sexual transgression one is the big one. That one happens right at the beginning. The second that Jules takes her top off, they're about to have sex in the woods, she gets murdered, and she has to be murdered first. That's the rules. That's what we learn. Which is pretty standard among horror movies. You know that if you have sex, you die. Mm -hmm. It happens. It's just the way it is. Which, you never split up, yeah. Um, which is really interesting because that's kind of um, a fun commentary on society and the expectations of women and being prudish and being really closeted about your sexuality and uh, being not sexually forward and stuff like that, which is like a, a whole other can of worms. But it's interesting that horror, which prides itself in being taboo-busting, still holds these really old taboos. Yeah. There's nothing really um, progressive about having somebody die right after they have sex. I mean, you watch it and you have, you have fun because it's standard and it's expected, but it's interesting to see a movie call attention to that and, and kind of point the finger at it being a little bit wrong. Do you ever wonder if maybe that's where the idea for It Follows came? Like, hey, why is it that every time they have sex they're just doomed to die? And... Then they were like, you know what? That's a that's a really interesting idea. And what if what if everybody in the movie just had sex? And now they gotta now they've all gotta die. But what I so it follows is an entirely different movie. But what I love about it follows is that everything when you haven't experienced it is scary and haunts you. And when you're a teenager, that's sex and that's yeah. drugs and that's alcohol and that's relationships and they are all these big monsters on your back. Mm -hmm. until you experience them which yeah. and i think it follows is is addressing the sexuality side of that like how how scary was that do you remember like how terrified you were about your first kiss and if you'd never get one and all yeah. that stuff and you wanted to get it out of the way but you're also completely terrified about it yeah that that itself is the perfect setting for a horror movie i thinking about that fear that i have is stressing me out yeah it's crazy like you can put yourself back in that 16 year old self or yeah like what whatever. if i die alone like i mean you're going to but, <laughs> <laughs> but i mean the the journey should like it's probably not gonna be alone <laughs> yeah so horror trope breakdown but yeah that's the, the interesting thing about horror is i love i love horror and i do think horror is progressive but we do still hold on to our own demons and it's fun that movies uh call attention to them mm -hmm. why does the final girl have to be prudish and bookish why can't she be why can't jewels be the final girl right and i think we're seeing more movies like that coming out uh you know as, as time goes on but a lot of the time it is still sort of winking at the audience like hey check it out we're not doing the conventional thing and it, it it's only it's only interesting because they're bucking the trend it's not that like oh this is a great movie and it played out really well and i'm glad this character is the one that survived it just it, it has to be calling attention to the fact that we're doing something different yeah Whatever. Well, and I think you go through a series of phases, like you go through where something is revolutionary, which I'm sure the first ever slasher movie where the tropes were created mm -hmm. was revolutionary, and then a bunch followed, and then we kind of got a little bit sick of them, and then we got these meta movies which called attention to where they are flawed or where they are um, getting tired. And does, does Cabin in the Woods make itself post-meta? Like it's meta 
about but now the we're getting meta. To, I don't know. <laughs> here's here's the problem with meta. Meta <laughs> meta get out begets. Of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a door leading to another door. Fuck. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. Post meta. Oh, that sounds so highbrow. Yeah. It's just putting brackets around, brackets around, brackets. Oh, right? this, this is such an asterisk footnote. I'm going to start using that to describe things. Nobody's going to make it. asterisk footnote? Yeah. They'll be like, it, I think it's one or the other, right? <laughs> like, I don't understand what she's saying. <laughs> you know the worst? I love this because David Foster Wallace is a writer who uses footnotes constantly, and I think he does it for humor, but do you ever get to a point where there are footnotes within your footnotes? Where it's like, you've got the, like, number 24. Danielowski is a footnote in a footnote. Well, Danielowski has turned it into an art form, oh. but, footnotes. like, you go to footnote 24, and then in the middle of footnote 24, there's a cross, and you're like, a cross! And you know what I hated about his footnotes is you would have to leave the page you were reading on, because sometimes the footnotes would carry on to other pages. <laughs> yeah. And it gave me anxiety, because I was like, I haven't paid... <laughs> finished page 64 yet and i'm here on page 68 and this footnote isn't done yeah that, that's the worst part about infinite jest as well like you have to read it with three or four bookmarks you need a bookmark uh it's specifically that a, stresses a, me out uh, john i love it it's so great i'm never finishing that book oh it's you not... fucking need to it's I... so great there is some dark shit in that book can we audiobook it how long is the audiobook though i don't even <laughs> know how you could i think you'd like you'd lose your mind trying to do the audiobook because you'd read here's the, here's the thing when you come across a footnote in a book, do you finish reading your sentence or do you go to the footnote? See, that's why I don't like footnotes. <laughs> they stress me out. I don't have a pattern. I, like, I can see you I getting like worked up. put my finger where I was reading and then I try to read the footnote. Sometimes I ditch the footnote. Oh, Sometimes see, I like can't. skim read the footnote and I'm like, okay. Eh. You have to read the footnotes. In, in, in David Foster Wallace's stuff, you have to read the footnotes. If you're reading a, um, a non-fiction book, you can skip it if you want to. Because it's just more referential stuff on, you know, where they got this info. Maybe. Maybe it's just further explanation for what you're already reading on. But whatever. This is getting boring. Uh, yep. Footnote over. <laughs> every time we go into the basement in this movie, or at least every time I watch it, every time I see Every them, time we go into the basement. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, all basements are terrifying. We know this. There's the boiler, there's the necklace, and there's the puzzle box. You just gotta choose which one you're going for. This is gonna sound crazy, because I've seen this movie a ton of times. I don't know if I've ever noticed that our stoner character... Marty. Marty. I don't know if I've ever noticed that he's looking at a canister of film. Like, I literally don't think I've ever, ever noticed that. What's on the film? Do you see? I don't know if... Like, maybe if we were in the theater, we would have got a better uh, look at it. Mm -hmm. But watching it at home, I can't quite tell. And I really want to know what monster is on that film. That's a great scene for rewatching because this movie is great on rewatches because of all of the stuff that happens in the second half of the film but watching that basement scene and trying to match the monsters to their objects because there's so many objects mm -hmm. in that room and it's really fun that's where being a horror fan really comes in because you're like oh my god there's the puzzle box that goes with that hellraiser type monster and there's um the ballerina with the with the ballerina with the tooth face and stuff there's yeah there's a necklace there's canisters of film he's he's got that conch you're he like, almost Merman. blows that fucking conch <laughs> one of the names one of the names on the board is kevin and what do you think kevin's totem would be in the basement like what do you think you grab and use to call upon kevin comic book oh fuck you that's perfect a pair of glasses possibly a bow and arrow if this is a we need to talk about kevin arrow movie <laughs> what do you think kevin does do you think kevin's just like Didn't a... you read this i thought you were getting on the trivia thing it's from um 
Sin City? I, I didn't read any of the trivia. Oh. oh, Kevin, like the cannibal, like Elijah Wood's character? Yeah. Fuck yeah. That's what, well, that's what people are speculating that oh. nobody's ever said anything. That's why I said a comic book. You're so smart. <laughs> You've literally done research. Yeah, well, I didn't well, I didn't read anything about the monsters, because I know your game is monsters, but I saw that before we made up that rule. That's okay. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Are you slightly let down by the zombie redneck torture family? I am always slightly red, let down by the zombie redneck torture family. Which... I don't want zombies. I'm, I don't love zombies. You're just sick of them. I am just sick of them. If you were making this movie, though. In 2012, zombies are the easiest, and they have a 100% success rate, so you're bam. excited to get zombies. Boom, got it. zombies have a lot of practice with cabins in the woods. Okay, I, I was talking more about audience appeal. Like, if I was making this movie in 2012 or now, my monster would at least be something to do with zombies. Uh, I don't know. See, I personally would have gone with that spectery thing. The spectery thing? Yeah, there's like a specter in the box. Oh, yeah, there's like a ghost. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, what if that's Kevin? Uh, maybe he was Kevin. That's what I'm saying. Oh, but for sake of success or what audiences would like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the werewolf. Yeah, so there's like a bat dragon thing, which would be fun to see. Yeah, there is the bat dragon. Yep, uh, <laughs> or the dragon bat, I believe, is what it's called. I'm trying to think. The little ballerina would be fun, but she might lose her luster after a kill or two. I was thinking the exact same thing. She's creepy as fuck. I totally want to see her kill some people, but. Because especially if she appeared at first from the back doing, like, a really slow pirouette. Cause Down like, the hallway, creepy right? Creepy little girl, why are you here? And then you might, like, one of the girls might go up to her and be like, "How? Like, where are your parents? Why are you here? La, she's, la, like, la. And then she has no face. Yeah. And you're like, fuck. Just a face full of teeth. Exactly. Like, that's a really good revealing scare shot, but. That'd be pretty dope. Yeah. Well, uh, what would you say other than zombies? Other than zombies? Uh, like, stuff that's already on the board? Probably some sort of demon. Yeah, demon would be cool. Like think, a Ouija board summoning thing oh, would be fun. Right? Yeah, yeah, like the devil himself would be great. I and think, it would be a fun thing to do meta wise because the the demons or the the gods that mm -hmm. they're trying to appease, there could be a nod to them being older than God and the devil, okay. and the devil being another villain in the maze. Oh, that's so brilliant! Like right? he's part of the clockwork he's, that is this exactly. Whole thing. He's just another monster yeah. in the box. We that all they work use for the to... ancient ones. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. It makes him sound a little more like like Devil Flanders than anything else. But <laughs> whatever, I'm down with it. I've realized now that I've said demons, I'm basically just building Evil Dead. I think it's this Evil movie Dead is, is kind of Evil Deady because it's got the book with the words that summon the Good the, point. the family, and they're deadite-ish. They're supposed to be like pilgrims, but their torture basement looks exactly like the basement in the Evil Dead remake. Exactly. Yeah. Where she's like, "I'm gonna kill you, Daddy." Yeah. That fucking that's a good scene. Yeah. I what will, is it? Uh. I'll eat your soul, Daddy. Yeah. I'll eat your soul, Daddy. I like that scene. That's that scene's good. fucking great. Yeah. They light her on fire. The like strings swell up and Evil Dead. Fuck, I love that goddamn movie. We're watching it tonight. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh. We're like, I'm so sick of zombies. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some zombie demons. <laughs> That's all I need. I will say, I do think that the creature design in the movie is brilliant. Not just in the the monster elevator stuff, because. Holy shit, would you not have loved to have, like, worked in the, the practical effects? Like, in the creature design for the movie? Like, oh, what are you doing today? Like, I'm making whatever the fuck I want, basically. Yeah. Like, anything I can possibly think of is getting put on somebody's face today. Yeah. But 
when we're reading in the diary that, you know, dad shoved hot coals inside sister's stomach, when they come up out of the ground and she's got a gigantic saw and her stomach is cut open and the coals are still embers inside her. I don't think I ever noticed that. Oh, you should watch it again. It's right the Oh, it looks great. It looks awesome. I love that. I love the big sort of jason style brother that is terrorizing them he's the one that throws jules's head in mm. the in the cabin he looks cool he's so creepy with like his wet hair and he stuff. looks like he's gonna finish up at the cabin in the woods and walk directly into like wwe wrestlemania <laughs> so true like he's the new grave digger oh man that's the uh the after hours special that they do Every, <laughs> they just pit two monsters together just you know like to to keep the ratings up <laughs> oh my god yeah like that's instead of bringing teenagers in it's just that we're gonna get these two monsters to fight that sounds awesome that would be great yeah that would be in this corner <laughs> we have like ding 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 in this corner we have killer robots versus the the copyright safe hellraiser guy <laughs> <laughs> i have such sights to let you see <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> that's pretty good but yeah like you know how this movie goes it's standard the teens start dying teens the college kids start dying in yep. the order that they appear and <laughs> um and Mom. then they reveal the um the greater picture and that it's all a orchestrated plot to appease those gods mm-hmm. and one by one they all start getting picked off until jules is left and you know cue the <laughs> Cue the party music just as she's being tortured. It doesn't matter whether or not she dies as long as she suffers. And suffers she has. And if they start pouring drinks. I gotta tell you, when we were in the theater and ever it's it's this after party where everybody's mingling and you can see that there's some resentment from department to department. I would have watched the rest of that party for 40 minutes. Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> yeah, like all of a sudden we're just like a mumblecore comedy in the back alleys of the, the, the horror headquarters. I would have totally watched that for ever. But she's just dying in the background. <laughs> yeah, she gets the shit kicked out of her for like 18 minutes straight. Yeah, on that uh, that pier or whatever. But then they get a call from upstairs. Somebody in management is not happy because the fool survived. Marty did not die. He killed... Who was it that went after him? The, the sister? It was one of the brothers. Probably the one with the husband's bulge. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, you know, big surprise, the the stoner kid's the super paranoid one who has figured out everything, and he's taken her down in their creepy little elevator to the the headquarters. That is a great moment, too, right? Where, you know, like, should we go down? He's like, where, where else are we going to go? And it's like, that's fucking true. Well, because at this point, um, Chris Hemsworth tried to jump the gorge and mm-hmm. has died on this invisible force field. Uh, that's a great scene. How many people do you think tried to do that? I assume it's just a fail-safe, and it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, but, oh, fuck, I love that scene. It is pretty great. They let him do this huge, like, heart-filled speech, and everybody's feeling and emoting, and then he just, like... Yeah, he just, he hits a wall. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know somebody who... Uh... <laughs> so, I know somebody who's really into dirt biking, and one of the dirt biking courses that he would go to actually jumps over a an, a real road um, that people drive on. And it's kind of super dangerous, but it's also kind of technically legal. It's not an, it's an unassumed road, but there is traffic that goes by it. So you have to be very careful about jumping over this road on your dirt bike. And you have to, from what I understand, because I'm too much of a wuss to go on a dirt bike, when you're coming up on a jump, you have to give it a little extra gas 
right before you hit it to to continue your momentum to get across. He did not do that, and instead of landing safely on the other side, smashed into the jump on the other end and broke both his legs. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. I mean, I kind of did That's this. That's not funny. Well, he's fine. He's got like three kids now. He's doing great. Oh. Um, but regardless, looks like it hurt. It was the end of Chris Hemsworth. We know that for sure. Does the movie start to become less interesting for you once they're in the facility? Uh, when I first saw this, I didn't love the gods plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't love it as much as everybody else, and I was like, why are I? I like I love that it's meta, but I don't know. Yeah, you're. I wanted to see the monsters, and I'm glad we got to. But yeah, I. I I liked the two worlds being separate, so I, yeah. I agree. Watching it now, though, I love it for what it is, because, like, you know all of the the beats of it, so you're not surprised by anything. And who are they doing this all for, too, right? Like, you, I, I love the facility, I love the the group of people that are creating it, I love the strings behind the operation, but who's, ultimately, who are they doing it for? Like, you'd have to do it for something big and crazy like gods. Yeah, well, also, too, when you watch movies like this, you don't get options normally. Mm. This one presents you with so many options, so as a horror fan, you're immediately like, oh, I'd love to see it like this, and oh, I'd love to see them do this, and I wish it was this monster. Normally, with one of these horror movies, you know what the monster is going into it, and you know, because they are cookie cutter, you know what the ride is going to be. So, this one actually gets you talking and gets you supposing and makes you think of what all those other Cabin in the Movies movies are. Yeah, and you get it. I I shouldn't have asked, you know, whether the movie falls apart a little bit for you once they get to the facility. But I, I definitely don't find the facility as interesting once our characters are in it. But holy shit, do they give you every single one of those fucking movies. All of the monsters get let out. You get to see basically that... Just havoc. (laughs) Oh yeah, including that fucking merman, which I did not think would be so cool. And holy shit, was the cleanup on that a mess. (laughs) That elevator scene, though, is so great because it combines the perfect cocktail of horror and comedy and timing. You're in a bland, boring, really sterile office, and then there's the ding of the elevator bells all at once, and then it's just an onslaught of monsters. Yeah, and it just goes bonkers from there and then they they call back to it later after kind of the massacre has kind of uh slowed down a bit there's very few people left to murder (laughs) and um patience buckner the youngest buckner comes out through the elevator and the elevator dings in this what once was sterile and is now just a massacre of blood yeah and she comes out of the elevator, and because she is this zombie thing, her face is so blank and devoid of emotion, and she's in this new place. There's no... You don't get to experience the carnage for her. Like, she doesn't have any expectations as to whether it should be clean or dirty. Mm -hmm. And her being your vantage point in that scene is so comedic because it's just strange. Because you should be shocked. You should be horrified. Yeah, Yeah. and she's neither. She's just like, here now. Yeah. Which is what I assume all those monsters were like. They were like, yes, people to torture. Like, <laughs> Hooray. I don't think they care that they're in an office building. Like, <laughs> no, not at all. They've just been let loose. Like, let us do what we're here to do. Yeah. I think the scariest part of the whole movie for me occurs around this point, and it's when Jules and Marty have knocked out that bodyguard in the elevator, but when they're leaving the elevator, before all that carnage, there is a zombie hand that's crawling in the elevator and finds that guy's face, and just as it's like, 
clawing its way onto him. The elevator door is closed. Can you imagine being killed by just a fucking hand? Like Thing from the Addams Family is going to tear you apart? That guy is... I guarantee that guy does not make it out of That life. would take a really long time. Somebody's got all the time in the world. Yeah. I don't know if a hand could just kill you. A single hand. Single hand couldn't strangle you? What would you be like trying to like separate their mouth? Or like what would you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what if it was just that? What if he just shoved his hand down his mouth and really <gasps> Oh, suffocated? you could choke somebody. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, a single hand basically killed uh, killed Barbara Crampton and Reanimator. Those two hands. Those stra- you can't strangle somebody with one hand. Well, maybe the, you can if you. He pick had them the power up. of ten. Every time, yeah, every time you see a vampire in Underworld strangle somebody, they're lifting them up with one hand, slamming them back down on the ground. We watched Underworld a lot recently. <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason, it was on all weekend. All weekend, and you know they didn't think that anybody out there would be crazy enough to watch all of those movies more than once. <laughs> but once it was drunk and the second was hungover, it was the perfect pairing. <laughs> so we end with Sigourney Weaver. I think a, a brilliant cameo. She plays the director who comes to basically plead with them in a last-ditch effort to save humanity. Mm-hmm. Marty has to die, and otherwise the gods will rise, and humanity as we know it will be over. But you know what? Fuck it. We don't deserve... You know, Marty doesn't deserve to die, and we, you know, if, if this is the kind of world that we're living in, uh, where we have to kill people for our own entertainment or to appease some unknown god... Maybe that's not a world that we deserve to have. Which makes me feel things about horror movies. <laughs> but goddammit, would you kill Marty? I probably wouldn't. I couldn't kill one of my friends. Yeah, probably. You would? He, he's gonna die anyways. Everybody's gonna Everybody's die. Everybody's gonna die. One person for billions. I don't know. It seems fair. But I wanted to comment on your last point about the whole... Horror movies. R- yeah, Taking um, pleasure out of all of this violence and murder and having that be what sedates these gods. And it's interesting if you think about it as horror movies where a lot of times violence in video games and movies is seen as an instigator and an inciter of violence. But maybe it is actually doing the opposite. Mm. Maybe it is an outlet for people. Not that saying that you or I would otherwise be violent, but maybe the fact that we are satiating that beast inside us, yeah. that we are less likely to be hostile creatures yeah like we're less likely to carry a bat with us in our car in case you know we get mad at the guy beside us because of these movies i don't know that doesn't sound like something I would yeah i think do. there's got to be something holistic about addressing these demons in a fictional way yeah it, it might have not uh, it might not even necessarily be about anger maybe it's just fear of Yeah, well, I was thinking that too, like paranormal whatever, or home invasions, or whatever the monster, I think addressing fear and those like primal feelings that happen to you when things go wrong, or Mm -hmm. when there's an emergency, or whenever your fight or flight is, whenever you're scared. I think addressing those in a comfortable way, like when you're in the comfort in your own home, and you're, um, you're willingly accessing that kind of feeling, gives you some kind of power over when it happens to you unwillingly yeah and i don't know i think that's a fun take on this appeasing the gods thing like what if the gods is this internal thing within humanity yep and these violent video games and these terrible movies and stuff are our way as a society for addressing that they're real and they exist and to keep us from doing them again like the same ways that we we remember war in a Never forget. Mournful way, but also in a, like, let's not fucking do this again way. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so there's a lesson that we can learn from it, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
that's a that's a horror fan's take on it. I bet if you if you got this same movie regurgitated by not a horror fan, you'd get something completely different. Oh, probably, yeah. But yeah, I think there's something great about about taking control of it, pow- taking power over it, because you can't. Con- it's out of your hands when you're gonna fucking die. There's nothing you can do about it. But um, you can meditate on it and prepare for it, maybe by watching these movies. What's your rating, Kim? Um. When we started talking about this, I was going to go three out of four as well. I was going to rate them the same. I think I'm going to go three and a half out of four. This movie is such a fun watch. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a lot to talk about, which is something that all the best movies have to have. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, well, for a lot of the same reasons that I gave Tucker and Dale a 3.5 out of four, I would like to also give Cabin in the Woods a 3.5 out of four. I think it's genius. I think it's amazing. I love it every time I watch it. It's hilarious. It's a fucking horror movie. It analyzes everything that I've thought about horror movies and puts them together into this coherent uh, original story that I don't think could have been made by anybody other than a horror fan. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's a movie I get to watch with my friends who don't like horror. So, done. But we want to hear from you guys. We want to hear all of your opinions on both films, Cabin in the Woods and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Tweet at us at NOFS Podcast on Twitter and head over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. That's horror fiends, because I can't enunciate well, of NOFS. That's all right. We're going to stick around for a few more minutes and we're going to play a game that I've put together Uh-oh. called Put It on the Board. I'm probably going to put together a Family Feud style soundboard for this. <laughs> so be ready for that. Um, I am going to read you a list of monsters and you have to tell me whether they appear on the Cabin in the Woods chart for betting uh, or if it's something that I just completely made up. That sounds really fun. This is going to be hard. Oh, yeah. Hopefully they're ones that we talked about in this episode because those are the only ones I know for sure. We are controlling transmission. This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by Deadly Grounds. Coffee to die for. Made from 100% Arabica beans, Deadly Grounds is horror-themed gourmet coffee. This week's blend is Never Sleep Again. A highly caffeinated blend created to keep you going all day or all night long. A medium dark roast with no bitter aftertaste. Full-bodied, velvety, and a little smoky. Listeners of Nightmare on Film Street can get 15% off their entire order right now when you head over to getdeadly.ca and use the coupon code NIGHTMARE at checkout. And to sweeten the deal, we are giving away a bag of Never Sleep Again blend over on our Instagram at instagram.com slash nightmare on film street. Head there this weekend only to enter to win a bag of Deadly Grounds Never Sleep Again. Never Sleep Again is just one of dozens of flavors that Deadly Grounds has. Head over to getdeadly.ca to check out all the cool flavors and use the coupon code NIGHTMARE to get 15% off your entire order. If you would like to partner with Nightmare on Film Street to advertise your brand, product, or service, head to nofspodcast.com slash advertise. Before you head out, though, please take a minute to leave us a quick five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you are listening to this. It really helps us get the show in front of more fiends. 
You can get that bonus episode, the game that we're going to stick around and play on patreon.com slash nightmare on Film Street. It's where you can get all the bonus content available to you as a monthly supporter of this show. We have discounts on merchandise. We have full commentary episodes, mini bonus episodes, and drive home from the drive-in reviews of current movies in the theater. Again, head over, if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash nightmare on Film Street. But that's it from us this week. I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay, Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy. Fiends.